Welcome to Expert Talks. I'm your host, Romina Marino. For this episode, I had the pleasure to speak with Ben Rabidou, a well-known real estate analyst and the president of North Cove Advisors. Ben's firm specializes in Canadian housing trends. He's often quoted in the media and puts out a newsletter that's read by institutional investors around the world. We covered a lot of ground during our time together, from the state of the market to loose regulation, lawsuits, and foreign investment. I'll let you take a listen. Well, Ben, thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm really excited to talk to you about all things housing. Um, But um, maybe to start off, for our listeners that maybe don't know as much about you, you can tell us a little bit about the sort of research and the work that you do um, so that, you know, they can understand what what we're in for here. Sure. Um, I run a boutique research firm um, and our focus is primarily Canadian housing. Uh, household credit trends, and then just broad macroeconomic trends, often kind of related to those topics, housing and credit. Uh, And so my clients, my typical clients would be institutional investors uh, here in Canada or the U.S., so pension funds or mutual fund companies or hedge funds um, that might have an interest in, well, frankly, everybody has an interest in Canadian housing because it is such a large part of our economy. And when you start digging into um, the composition of, for example, the Canadian stock exchange. Um, it, it's overwhelmingly skewed towards financials, right? very heavy weighting. Right. Uh, and particularly when you start looking at the composition of earnings. Um, and so I think most professional um, money managers have some interest in, in, in Canadian housing. It also, to a large extent, it shapes the um, monetary policy decisions from the Bank of Canada. They spend a lot of time focusing on housing and consumer and consumption trends, we'll say, uh, because those are such large drivers of, of the broader economy. So to the extent that you can have a view on that, you can kind of have an investment thesis around that. And so that's what I, I, I try to help my clients do. So we spend a lot of time just kind of talking to people on the front lines, um, gathering what you might call kind of ground level intel that goes beyond just the data. And so, you know, I, I try to have a very kind of holistic view of what's happening in the major markets in Canada. Right. So, so going going a lot deeper and beyond this whole, you know, house prices and where things are at and what people can afford, just looking at all, sort of all the ways in which it affects the economy. Yeah. What, what, how it affects the economy and then also what are the actual fundamental drivers of these markets, right? right. Is, it, is it always what people think, right? Is there any... Um, are there any shenanigans happening with certain lenders? I mean, we, we've done pretty good work, I think, in the past on some of the kind of idiosyncratic issues that have come up in the in, in the lending space. So, you know, the Home Capital Group, which I, some of your listeners might might have followed that, or, or Laurentian Bank having gotten uh, their hand slapped for some fraudulent loans that ended up being securitized. So those types of things, uh, are that's kind of right in our wheelhouse. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, just, just a bit of a consumer advocacy angle as well in that we you know, we have a real issue with how some products are marketed to consumers, uh, especially in the real estate and housing space. It, it strikes me that there's a lack of meaningful oversight in terms of what people can advertise to consumers. Um, so for example, developers, realtors, what sort of returns they can promote on these new condo developments. Um, some of these convoluted products like syndicated mortgages i was extremely vocal on that front ended up getting sued for it but, but ultimately a <laughs> <laughs> it did but i mean whatever it was worth it i think in the end uh you know it raised a lot of awareness to the issue mm-hmm. um so that's kind of i mean that's 
that's what I do on a business side and kind of on a personal side as well. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, we may jump ahead a bit right now and just get into sort of the regulation and the lending and all that because I feel like real estate is one of those tricky things. Like, you know, finance in general, a lot of regular people or even investors that aren't the most sophisticated, they'll sort of acknowledge they don't understand things, right? Mm-hmm. They're like bonds that index, I don't, you know, whatever. They yep. just, they go for ETFs because it's the easiest things or they don't understand. But I feel like with housing, there's almost like this false sense of security where people are like, I see the house. I watch the home mm-hmm. rental shows. I know what a house is. I know that it's worth something. Or I see that, you know, these houses are all worth millions of dollars. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be easy. And even this old school mentality, right? That real estate is a safe mm-hmm. way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess what, what would, what do you think people need to understand when, because they're not really investing in houses. Sometimes they're investing in products like in a mortgage and syndicated mortgages or different something that's not secure. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's so many levels of things that people don't understand. Uh, yeah. Like where do you think they should sort of start looking when they're like, oh, great, there's a real estate investment opportunity, <laughs> like quote unquote. Sure. Well, I think it's a great point you make. I, I think when you try to explain to somebody that if you buy this share in RBC, you now own one, you know, however many millionths of a percent of, you know what I mean? It's just it's some, yeah. it's some such an obscure little fraction of ownership of this giant conglomerate. And you don't really know what's happening there, right? right? But you know you own some tiny fraction of that, of that business. Uh, and for some people, that's very hard to get their heads around. For the average Canadian, I'd say that's hard mm-hmm. for them to get their heads around. Um, whereas they can look next door and they can say, hey, there's a house. I can see it. I, you know, I, I can touch it. If I, if I buy this and rent it out, I can, you know, I can see the, the, the rent money coming right. in. So in a lot of ways, you can appreciate how that's sort of a, you know, a, a, an asset class that would be um, a little, little more easily understood for the average person. Um, and the reality is, I'm not against real estate investment. And I want to be very clear on that. Like, I'm not anti-housing by any means. And, and if if you and this is a big if right like the 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 reality with real estate investment is that there is a, a big component of leverage to it right most people when they buy we'll use an example a, a, an investment property most people aren't putting down all cash right right and so usually they're they're leveraging they put twenty percent down they borrow the other the other eighty percent so so when you do that and if you catch the right part of the cycle the returns are spectacular there's no debating it. Right. right. I mean, leveraged returns are <laughs> spectacular. If you're leveraging five to one, or, or, or in some cases on a on a personal property, you leverage twenty to one. Right. Those are tremendous returns on your initial investment. So you can appreciate the the appeal uh, for for some speculation. The issue is that those leveraged returns do work both ways. So not only do they magnify the the, the returns, they magnify the losses in a down market. Um, now, that's not something we've really had to see in Canada or contend with for, for a long time until very recently. But to get back to your original question, um, you know, what do people need to understand? I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky question. I think just from a very high level, I think there needs to be greater awareness of the fact that the sort of restrictions that would prohibit, for example, a mutual fund company from making certain promises that a developer can make. Right. They're not there for, for, for those people working in the real estate space. And so you can get these, call them outlandish claims about, about you know, future price appreciation, your return on your investment on this. I mean, we see, we see these ads where, you know, they're saying um, 300% return on investment after mm-hmm. X number of years. Right. You could never get away with those sorts of things in, right. in, 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 in some of the more heavily regulated space. So I think just from, for the average consumer, just understand that the... The regulation might not be as robust 
in the real estate space. And so when you're being presented with, a, as you said, a quote-unquote opportunity, mm-hmm. just recognize that, that that may not be vetted by a regulator with the sort of teeth right. that, as the ones that are regulating the financial markets. Right. You know? Yeah, but it's interesting, right? Because even as you say, I keep seeing like opportunities in, in, in quotation marks, which nobody can see. And it's like when you say something, if they were to say something like 300% return, you would think, I don't know, to me, that would have to be a scam, right? Like there's this sense, there's this belief, I feel like real estate can give you anything, whereas it seems like it's the monorail guy in The Simpsons promising you the best thing ever, where like nothing can be yeah, that good, but, like, but, right? Well, it's, it's a gamble, no, it, isn't well, it? But that gets back to the earlier point, right? Where, yeah. where if you're using a lot of leverage, Right. I mean, if you, if your property appreciates, I mean, let's let's do the math here. If your pro- property appreciates twenty percent, and you've only put twenty percent down, you've doubled. There's a hundred percent return right. on your initial investment. It's right. it's a lot of leverage. Yes. Right. And so you you know you have that. You throw in some assumptions around rents and rental growth. Throw in some assumption on property appreciation, principal pay down on the mortgage. Mm-hmm. I mean, the tricky thing is, the the numbers aren't always factually inaccurate. Right? right, like you can get to those numbers, right? The assumptions that go into them are maybe aggressive, right? right? Um, maybe not in the context of like like the recent past, like the run up we had from kind of 2015 to call it 2016, 2017, depending on where you are in right. Canada. Those are very realistic numbers in that in that market, but that's not you know that's not a normal market mm-hmm. by any means. And so what what those, that sort of advertising omits is is the risk of a downturn and the risk of any sort of you know. Right. Down to downturn in prices, right. uh, the risk that you can't um, get the financing to close on a pre-construction deal, the risk that a tenant's going to trash the place. I mean, there's lots of risks that aren't, mm-hmm. aren't aren't explicitly laid out. Right. So I guess yeah, it's, maybe it's it's more that it's not that it's impossible. It's just all the all the ifs, right? Like this, right? Or, which even works for I think people buying their own homes, right? Like I can make these payments if everything stays the same. That's a good point. Yeah. Right. I mean, that is kind of yeah. That's but but even if you just to get. Again, to, to harp on the whole regulation side of things, yes. generally when you see advertising around any sort of um, you know, financial markets or, or, or securities offering, it's always right, at, right there in, in big letters, past returns or no indication of future yes. returns, right? Yes. And the idea being that, yeah, here's what we know what happened in the past, but that's definitely not necessarily what's going to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. And you don't see that sort of wording on real estate advertising, just as one simple example, mm-hmm. right? So people get lulled into this sense that you know, this is sort of a one-way trade. Right. Yeah. But regulation, though, like, that's something else I wanted to talk to you about because it seems, I mean, again, we're talking maybe a bit deeper even about the financial products, but even something that a regular person might see more often, even with agents, right? Like nothing seems regulated, right? You can get someone that charges you like 1% commission, somebody that charges you nothing. You can mm-hmm. get these products. Like, like is regulation in real estate laxer than in other areas of finance? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, full stop, yeah. yes. yes just, I mean, yeah. if you think about it, okay, so you think about the, the, the bodies that are governing real estate. Right. I mean, RICO, which the Real Estate Council, you use Ontario as an example, the Real Estate yes. Council of Ontario. Um, it's a it's a self governing body, right? So it's it's basically real estate agents governing real estate agents, which can work in principle. Don't get me wrong, it work in principle, but um, y- you do wonder if it has the teeth that an arm's length regulator might have, right? And and more to the point, I think a much bigger issue would be um, FISCO, which is the financial yes. uh, financial regulator f- around mortgage agents and mortgage lending in Ontario specifically. And uh, I mean, I just think they're woefully underfunded. I don't think it's necessarily an issue of, of incompetence. I'm not trying to, you know, 
I'm not trying to throw mud at the people who are working there. I'm sure they're great, well-meaning people, but they're just massively underfunded. They don't have the resources to, to pursue their mandate. And so as a result, you end up with, for example, the cases of like syndicated mortgages, which, which in a lot of ways should not have been marketed in the way that they were. And, and it's not like people weren't raising. I mean, I was pounding a table on that point as far back as 2013. Right. Uh, could not get an answer. And, and I'm not the only one. I know senior people in the mortgage space were very vocal with Fisco saying, look, this is a real problem. This is going to be a real black eye on the industry when this unwinds. And that was right. years ago. And they could not get any sort of meaningful response. And so that just gets back to my point. Like that sort of stuff um, should not happen when you're talking about people investing their life savings or making the largest purchase of their life. There needs to be better protection for consumers, as right. far as I'm concerned. The, the other point, and I'll just make this last point, is it, the to, to my knowledge, there's almost no restrictions on what developers and realtors can market in right. terms of potential investment opportunities. So, so this pre-construction condo, and they kind of deliver this kind of you know, this, this estimated returns down the road. And it's these, just these enormous numbers, right. That right. really have not been vetted by, by anyone. And the assumptions going in are pretty aggressive. Uh, and to my knowledge, there's really nothing preventing them from saying that. And right. that to me is a problem. I mean, I remember, I remember, I'll call out Brad Lamb here. Okay. So, so Brad Lamb, condo King, I remember seeing a, a marketing video by Fortress, one of the big syndicated mortgage companies, guys that sued me. And I remember in this marketing material, it's, they're, they're in front of a bunch of agents and people kind of selling their product um, on their behalf to, to consumers. I remember Brad Lamb up there. I mean, this is still, the video is still on, on YouTube. And he says, more or less, he says, look, there's lots of ways to make money in real estate. The safe way is to invest in these syndicated mortgage products. And I think I just thought like that is that's insane that a developer can stand up there and especially a, somebody who's a partner, who's a beneficiary of the funds being raised, right. who's not arm's length or objective. And he's able to say this is a safe way to make money. I mean, it was the furthest thing from safe. It's the least safe option, right? right? It really yeah. is. And so like somebody like like in that specific example, like I wonder, well, where is the regulator that would say, hey, listen, you can't be telling people this is a safe investment. You are a respected developer. People listen to what you're saying. You can't be out there telling people this is safe, right? Right? You know, there needs to be all sorts of, you know, all sorts of <laughs> warnings around, you know, suitability, right? If nothing else, right. right? But I mean, and that's just like just quotes for sort of thing, just pre-construction. Like that's sort of one issue, right? But there's all kinds of mortgage products that people may invest in and not fully understand. Well, that was a mortgage product. Yes. He was saying that specifically about the syndicated mortgages. He was saying this right. is the safe right. way right. to invest in real estate, which to me, I mean, that just blew my mind. Right. Right. And I'm not, you know, that's just one example of stuff you see in the industry. Mm-hmm. But but just just my question would be like, where, like, what is the the regulation that like, wh- where is the line in terms of what right. what they can and can't say? I don't. I don't know that that line exists and it, it ought to when you're, mm-hmm. you know, when you're trying to get people to invest that sort of money. Right. I guess, yeah, even if you can't necessarily stop somebody from saying something, it's almost like cigarettes, right? Have a little warning label that yeah. tells you like, yeah, sure, go for this if you want. But <laughs> these are the risks, right? right? Because no one's really presenting the other side. Right. And, and you know, they would say, well, there were risk disclosures, but, you know, they were, they were laid out in mm-hmm. the, the, the documents that were signed, et cetera. Um, but, as we know, I mean, how many consumers are going to read yeah. every single page of this, however many page long, 20 page, whatever it might be, you know, document that they're signing when they've just heard somebody standing up there saying this is a safe way to make money, 
right? Like most people are going to go on that as opposed to reading through the fine print and understand, right. oh, well, here's all the little, you know, the little nuanced risks mm-hmm. laid out here, right? So, I mean, I'm not saying that it wasn't it wasn't laid out somewhere, but but the fact that you have somebody standing up there saying this is a safe investment and there's no oversight from the real estate industry, that to me is just, I mean, that's absurd. Right. Well, I guess it's also, I mean, it's almost like having the celebrity endorsement, right? Like somebody, mm-hmm. like a recognized brand. You know, if you're yeah. in Toronto, you see the billboards everywhere, right? And you're like, well, if this guy is making money off it or seems like a good idea, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. For, for, for listeners that may not be as familiar with everything, can you can you tell us a little bit about um, the syndicated mortgages and the Fortress and that whole sort of situation, what went wrong there? Sure. Well, there's a lot of things that went wrong. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, um, so I, started, um, I started seeing these ads um, where... People were saying, get 8%, secured on real estate, safe investment. I saw one person advertise it as like a GIC, which is a guaranteed investment yes. certificate, but yielding 8%. I thought, she says nothing. Like, what, what is this? There's just right. right away, it just sets off your, your, your spidey senses. And actually, what really um, piqued my interest is my brother came to me. He's like, hey, man, I just got pitched on this, this investment. It sounds amazing. It's this 8% product. He actually used the term. I, even, I still don't know what this means. He's like, it's like double insured. So there's no way to lose money. I'm like, what does that, what does that mean? What did this guy tell you? Right? right. And so you start to, and it was, you know, it was a, it was a mortgage agent that was wholesaling their product that was pitching this to my brother. And so in the, the idea in principle is fine. Okay. So I'm not against syndicated mortgages. What I was against is how they appeared to be marketed to consumers. Okay. And so the idea behind a syndicated mortgage would be that uh, if you take a developer, they um, purchase a parcel of land, they ultimately want to build a condo there. But between the time when they purchase a parcel of land and the time they can put a shovel in the ground, they incur all sorts of costs. They have to get it rezoned. They have to hire a sales staff to get a, you know, get get, the, get it uh, you know, mocked up. and bring, like All this stuff has to happen. There's a lot of costs involved in that. And so oftentimes what they'll do is they'll bring in equity partners that would invest in that portion. They would, they would kick in some money. Right. Um, and uh, that would get the developer through, in theory, to the point where they can kind of stick a shovel on the ground, whatever, a year, year and a half later. Um, but there's a tremendous amount of risk there. If you don't hit your pre-sale targets or the market goes soft and you whatever, then the equity investors generally are, are, are wiped out. So it's not that it's not a viable investment. It's that it's a very high-risk investment. Right. And and generally you're compensated for that risk, but but much more than eight percent. Right. Okay? And so so in principle, that concept does work. The issue becomes where the the developer or some somewhere along the line it's represented to the consumers that this is somehow secured and safe right. and you know you're registered on title and, and all of this stuff. And what really set me off is I remember remember reading where it's like oh hey you're you know it's uh, you're, you're secured by real estate it's just like a mortgage and if anything goes wrong we just we take the property and we sell it and we recover your money but I was pulling land registry title on some of these projects and it was amazing you would see like this developer would close on this parcel of land for let's say three million dollars just to use a just to pick a number and the next day they're registering six seven eight million dollars against that and so, right. and, and so you'd go, well, wait a minute, they just bought it for $3 million. They've registered $8 million. So that means that they've raised $8 million from their investors. And they're telling their investors that this 
parcel of land, if something goes wrong, we'll just sell it and repay your money. But the problem is they just bought it for $3 million and they owe $8 million on it. Right. So where is the actual security for investors, right? And I don't get it. I don't want to get too much into the weeds for your listeners, but but there were some issues like that that we were finding as we were kind of digging into this. And so it was enough to set you know, alarm bells off. So started kind of you know chirping them a bit, chirping Fisco, trying to get someone someone to to, to you know be more proactive on this. Um, and got me some threatening letters. You know, you backed off a couple times, and then finally got a got a threat over some pretty innocuous. Um, I felt innocuous statements, and uh, and so they decided to sue me for that. And I feel very much like it was a uh, it was a, a suit specifically to, to silence me. In fact, right. the the court decision we had it thrown out. Um, it was dismissed uh, on on a motion to have it recognized as a slap suit, which is a strategic litigation against public participation. The idea being that I'm just going to try to silence you. Right. And the actual wording from the uh, from the the, the appeal judge um, was that it had the um, all, the indicia of a true slap. So, so they recognized that this was not a real lawsuit. This was meant to just shut me up. Right. And so they threw it out. They awarded me my costs. Now, whether I'll ever actually see that is uh, is another question. But right. you know, it's just it's it's frustrating, right? Like, so I I take a bullet um, as some as a concerned citizen, right? You know, spend a, a pile of my own money, um, and uh, you know, this is something that that the regulator should have been on. I mean, this was like low-hanging fruit for a regulator. The right. issue, I mean, it was so blatantly obvious what was going on here. Right. And there was just nothing. Has so. anything, have they ever said anything since? The reg- like, have well, they're, they, oh, have to, to be changes? clear. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, now yeah. they have. I mean, the, you know, the horse is out of the barn. Right. Now and, that and, you kind of like highlighted the fine print that nobody was highlighting. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, it wasn't just, there's lots of people that were skeptics, to be clear, right. and that were kind of operating in the background. Um, but the kind of the epilogue there is that um, they're now under RCMP investigation for fraud. Right. And of course that investigation is ongoing and you know there's they're they're entitled to the day in court if it ever even gets to that point. Mm-hmm. So we don't know how this goes, but there's the point I guess that I would that I would say is that the concerns were serious enough to warrant a criminal investigation right. from the RCMP and the, the the regulator somehow missed it. Right. In spite of being warned, which is like that's a that's a concern. How do how do people miss that if it's right. such a big deal that the RCMP is involved mm-hmm. and you were warned about it for years? How do you drop that ball? Right. Well, it makes it hard to know what you can trust in terms of like mortgage investments and things like that, right? Because if things aren't being presented, maybe, you know, like you sort of assume, I feel like there's a sense of safety, security in Canada. We have systems that work, right? No matter what government is in charge, no matter what happens, Canada is not like certain other countries where it's like, good luck to you. It's like, there's systems. The the institutions are supposed to work, maybe, or no? Yeah, (laughs) I have maybe a bit more of a jaded view. I think think Canada is just a paradise for white collar crime. I think that, I think that a lot of people get attracted to the financial services space mm-hmm. um, because the repercussions are so minimal in general. Right. Right. And again, I'm, when I say white collar crime, to be clear, I'm not, <laughs> and I'm not saying that there was criminal activity in anything that we just talked about. Right. I don't know, but right. I, I'm talking step back, higher level. Uh, it does seem that, that white collar crime is, uh, is sort of permitted mm-hmm. in Canada with very, very little repercussion. Right. Well, and I mean, that kind of actually ties into something else I want to talk to you about, which is interesting, which is um, sort of, Aside, sort of moving aside from the product itself, but even just regular real estate investment, right? Where mm-hmm. some a lot, where a lot of the money comes from, because there's been a lot of concern about that too, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you see huge, like these home prices that are unaffordable for anyone, especially yep. in places like Vancouver. Um, and there was a, a report recently, I think, you know, they were saying something like almost 29 billion of that money mm-hmm. is coming from unknown sources, and nobody's yeah. checking what they are or where they are. So yeah. we don't really know. 
like is that money laundering? Is that legit? Is that like where is any of that coming from? And is anybody looking into that? <laughs> well, that's a great question. I mean, all of those are, are great questions. So uh, it's interesting to me as an outside observer. So years ago, we're probably talking like five years ago now. I remember pushing back actually fairly hard against this idea that that foreign investors were driving up real estate, especially in places like Vancouver, because mm-hmm. it's just so hard to get the official data. Right. Right. And so um, in the absence of that, you're kind of like, well, you, you can't really build a thesis around just anecdotes. Right. And, and so I push back very hard on that. But you get to the point where the anecdotes are so compelling and so uniform that you're like, you know, there's something here that the data is missing. Right. And you can go to those places and you can watch, and you can talk to people and oh yeah, and this house is vacant and that one over there. And it used to be this vibrant neighborhood with kids running around. Now like three quarters of places are, are completely empty. And you're going, okay, well, there's something here that's right. And so yeah. you can't always quantify it. Uh, and the issue a lot of times is that the way that the ownership structure can be set up in Canada is is it can really obscure who the beneficial owner of a property is, right? By by putting it in a corporate name. Um, having the principals uh, or, or, or like having a secretary that works at a law firm here and, 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 and it completely obscures who the actual owner of that property is. Right. And that's not right as far as I'm concerned. I think that the work done by Transparency International, which is the, the study you cited, the 20, I think it was 28 billion or something over 10 years. 28.4 maybe? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, think, I think they have a very valid point. Now, to be clear, of that 28.4, not all of that's going to be dirty money, right? right? Because if you think about it, there's there's lots of people that would buy a multiplex and would put it in a in a numbered company, a Holdco, just for a liability perspective, right? Right. Um, so so there's as far as I'm concerned, very legitimate reasons why you would have some of that obscure ownership, but not all of it is going to be that, right? There's certainly going to be some element that's facilitating money laundering, like full stop. And so my right. question would just be, why aren't we setting up beneficial ownership registry? Right. Right. It, it should be fully searched, but you should know the person who owns that house over there. Is this person right? Right, not some numbered company. We can't find out who the actual right in Canada. There's, there's. See, see we're a country that is very attractive to um, like for foreign money coming from from a lot of jurisdictions. We have you know, safe, stable rule of law, good education, um, and and so from that perspective, money will want to come here right. from from certain jurisdictions. And you know, I think. There was a lot of um, pressure or, I don't know, there's a lot of sensitivity a couple years back with, with discussing kind of like the Chinese bid in Vancouver. It was almost like it was un-Canadian to say there was this group of people from one particular country that seemed to be driving up. Right. But as time goes on and as we sort of learn more and we kind of clarify some of the issues, look, it was a real thing, right? There, there is a regime in China and there, you know, people want to get their money out of right. out of that regime. and. And into kind of a, a Western democracy, and Canada was very much open borders and mm-hmm. relatively close, and so it just made sense. And so, in hindsight, it ends up being one of these things where in Canada we're just we're too polite to address those tricky issues head on, right? And so it goes on for years longer than it probably should have. Where real, realistically, back in 2012, we should have been able to say, yeah, there's a, there's a problem here with money coming mm-hmm. from China, and we probably should be talking about it. Right. right? So that's the problem in Canada we, that we run into. But is that, I mean, is, is that a problem if it's legitimate money, just in terms of what it does to Well, define prices? legitimate. Well, what do you mean by legitimate money? Well, I guess if we're not talking like money laundering, if you're just like, I, my kid goes to school mm-hmm. in Vancouver, I live in China, I'm going to buy them a property and then that way I get my money there mm-hmm. and it's safe from whatever may be happening back home. Like, is that it, wrong? It, it can, <laughs> no, I, it's not. Wrong is not the right word. It's, you know... It, 
it's a very nuanced discussion. I I don't know how I feel about that. It's tricky. Like if right. if if at the end of the day the story is that, um, I mean at the end of the day you're pu- you're putting money here because you you want to own an asset in Canada outside the purview of Beijing mm-hmm. primarily, right? Right. And and it's under the the guise of buying it for your child who's going to university here, right? right? But at the end of the day, if the beneficial owner of that property is not paying income taxes to support some of the infrastructure required right. to, to maintain those neighborhoods yes. and the, the public service, that's a concern. Like right. that is a concern, right? So you send your child here. They're not looking, they're earning any local income. You put them in some, you know, three, four million dollar house in Vancouver. Um, I mean, again, you know, gener- but that, those are the sorts of stories you yes. hear, right? Yeah. That kind of get all the press. Um and there's no income. There's no taxes being generated mm-hmm. off the income there. You get property tax. Whatever. So I think what Vancouver is trying to do in levying some of these 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 like taxes on non-local income um, is actually uh, smart, right? Some of their their vacancy taxes, their foreign yes. buyers. I think all of that actually makes sense. And it's it to to the extent that you um, want to measure success as greater affordability, like it looks like it's moving in that direction in Vancouver. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to have everything that you get by owning a property here you've got to do something you in return. Pay. I mean that's just I mean that's right. the way our Canadian system works, yes. right? You're welcome to come here. You are welcome to enjoy the benefits of of all of the social infrastructure we've created through you know equitably paying our taxes. Right. But you're going to be a part of that, right? Yeah. And if you're offended by that then like mm-hmm. you know and, and I don't know why in Canada we can't have that candid conversation. It's like it's like you're at risk of being labeled a racist, but that's right. not that's not really the fundamental issue. The fundamental issue is one of equity. Right. right, and just like and 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 what is equitable, and how should we be ensuring that everyone is paying their fair share? Right, right, yeah. and and, that, and those are legitimate concerns. Right, that's, yeah. yeah, it's being the nice guy that gets stepped over, right? <laughs> Which is kind of a Canadian that problem. That does feel like that's yeah. how it's been for the last few years. Right. Yeah, and we're starting to learn the extent of it. I mean, we're starting to see now these reports coming out about you know the, the Vancouver model of money laundering and. You know, the great Sam Cooper, who's now in Ottawa, is doing more work on just showing that this is actually a, a, a Canadian-wide phenomenon, mm-hmm. right? That, and, that, and that intelligence agencies across the world were warning Ottawa years ago that, listen, Canada is a bit of a porous border for this sort of... You know, and now we're realizing, oh, this was, this was a real issue all along. And, and people were too, in many cases, were, you know, were labeled racist or whatever for, for trying to address right. some of the... Or, or raise some of these concerns and... You know, the, in, in some cases, they were right. Right. When it comes to sort of like fraud and lack of regulation and more like sort of dirty money, however you want to phrase that, I mean, are there any anecdotes that you can share that are kind of really raced, like what you're saying, like really kind of hit your spidey sense on that, that really stick out? Or is it just sort of a general <sighs> You know, trend? it's more of, yeah, I'd call it just more like a mosaic. Like you just, you yeah. go to places and you do, you talk to people. And to be clear, I was very much opposed to that perspective. I, I, I found it difficult to believe that non-residents were pushing property prices up to that extent. But as you go there and you talk to people and you find that these anecdotes are just so uniform and you go to these places, you visit them and yeah, there really are streets full of empty homes. And you're like, well, that's, this is like a social problem. This, this is more than just like a, like this is a social problem. This is the gutting of, of, of neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, I don't know that I have one specific anecdote that stands out. It's just, it's just seeing that sort of thing over again. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then just a couple more things I wanted to touch on before before I let you go. But, you know, talking about affordability, then you sort of also get into the idea of debt, right? People mm-hmm. buying things they can't afford, like, mm-hmm. let's say, regular Canadians, right? Like money that is in the country that's sort of... Um, 
And it, it, the whole thing seems like, so it's like an accidental bad pun, but it is like a bit of a house of cards in terms of people buying things that they can't afford, assuming that rates will stay the same. It looked like they were going to go up. Now they're not. So maybe we're okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're looking at uh, sort of the how expensive things are for whatever reason, right, what people are doing to buy these houses, um, I guess like bigger sort of macroeconomic pictures, like what happens if... <laughs> something all these ifs that are holding everything yeah. together like change like in terms of like the impact on the economy or on the financial sure. markets like what are we not like to be super depressing worst case scenario but mm-hmm. what should we be thinking about before we're like sure i'll buy this two million dollar house because i can today right yeah well to take a step back from the personal side of things so because yeah. i always i'm always leery to say oh you should or you shouldn't do right. this that's that's not that's beyond my my scope to give personal advice but I think the pertinent question there is, what does the Canadian economy look like if housing and consumption are at kind of more historical levels? Uh, and that's a great question. And you start to see that in even just the latest quarterly GDP print, where we saw a big decline in residential investment, which is you know, new housing construction, renovation, realtor commissions are kind of the big three there, and, um, and a big slowdown in, in consumption expenditures. And if you think about it, the two are kind of linked. The ability to consume, uh, there's kind of two components to that. Well, the consumption will say there's two components. So there's, there's kind of the, the ability and then there's the willingness, right? And so and when it comes to the willingness, we have to talk about the wealth effect, right? And, and that as, as house prices rise, people feel more wealthy. They have the ability to borrow more cheaply. They can take out a home equity line of credit at, at very low rates, and they can you know, remodel their kitchen or whatever. And so what we tend to find is as asset values, particularly real estate, go up, it actually in, it, it encourages consumption, right? And so, um, so as that dynamic works in reverse, and we're starting to see that now because prices are uh, in aggregate starting to come down in Canada, um, we're seeing that it's a real drag on consumption. And those two components, residential investment and consumption, are basically the entirety of GDP growth coming out of the last recession. So we really haven't levered our economy growth-wise off of anything but those two industries for, for the last 10 years. And so absent that, we have a very different looking economy. And I often raise the point that if you look at, um, <laughs> I mean, this is shocking, if you look at all um, like business investment, if you if you look at it in the sense of um, like machinery and equipment and intellectual property, and you compare that um, those expenditures against just the transaction costs of residential real estate, it's called like realtor commissions primarily. Right. The realtor commissions dwarf that. So in other words, in Canada, as a group, we're spending way more on transaction costs to buy and sell houses than we are on investing in our businesses, which is not how you grow an economy long term. Right. Right. So that needs to change. Right? And, so, and so as we get into a, a, an environment where housing is maybe less frothy and less prone to attract marginal capital, then hopefully we see more of that redirected back to, to growing businesses and more productive ventures, which, which ultimately will be what stabilizes and kind of creates a better long-term economy. But in the interim, you go through an adjustment period, which we may be starting. We may be on the, on the edge of that where the economy starts to feel what it's like without that major tailwind from housing and consumption. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Well, I guess we can leave it there. I'll throw you one last question if you're willing to kind of crystal ball a little bit in terms of Sure. Like, I, my crystal ball is broken, but I'm happy to try. <laughs> uh, going forward, 2019, like, like yeah. where do, I mean, you're saying maybe it's a bit of a slowdown, things readjusting a little. Like, where do you mm-hmm. see things in general in the sector? 
Sure. I think uh, it very much depends on where you're talking. So if we if we assume that a lot of your listeners are kind of Toronto area, I think it's um, it's really going to be a continuation of the current trends, which which is kind of sounds, kind of sounds like a cop out, but I think that what we're seeing right now is the suburbs and the high end in the suburbs in particular are still under substantial pressure. Um, as you move lower in price point, you get more into the entry level along transit lines in the core. Um, those areas are still well bid and uh, in, in a relatively strong market. So I think in aggregate, you'll see prices more or less grind sideways or, or up and down for, for most of this year. Right. Um, but that's going to hide some sharp regional differences right? Where, where you will find falling prices in the high end and rising prices in the low end, I think. I think now the big wrench and all that is if in fact we end up in a recession which I, you know i'm not saying it's likely but it's it's more likely than what we've seen in in 10 it's years starting in Canada to right look now. That way. it yeah. is starting to look that way i mean you, you are seeing some really recessionary indicators out there right now right so so that obviously you know if that comes to pass then all, all bets that's are off we don't know yeah right okay yeah. that's great well really really great talking with you thank My you pleasure. so much for your time today thank you appreciate it Well, Ben certainly gave us lots to think about, and it was great to get his thoughts on so many aspects of the real estate sector. If you want to find out more about this or other financial topics, check out our website, www.pimpipe.com, sign up for our newsletters, and follow us on social media. Until next time, I'm Romina Marino, and this has been Expert Talks. 